Food Futurists with Andy Lowe, a series of podcasts looking at food, biological resources, sustainability and innovation. Welcome to Food Futurists. Today I'll be talking to myself, but to help, I've got my producer Ramona Dalton to review what happened at Global Table in September and to round off Series 1 of the Food Futurist podcasts. Hi, Andy. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, good. Thank you for letting me speak to you about this. This was a huge deal. Um, Global Table and Seeds and Chips was here in Melbourne in September, and it turned out to be what is now Season 1 of this new podcast of yours, Food Futurists. Tell me, what was it about this conference and this collection of people that made you want to get all these views in podcast form? So it's, uh, that's a really good question. And I didn't really start out by focusing on podcasts. Uh, I had a piece to write for the Australian Financial Review, uh, just to review some of the exciting developments uh, that were going to be presented at Global Table. And Global Table is a uh, now an Australian-wide and in, indeed regional-level uh, conference around food innovation, the latest, latest technologies and developments uh, within that sector. So going along to that meeting and lining up interviews with some of the people that have got the most exciting ideas that are coming forward was the brief. But then to actually record uh, some of those ideas and some of those conversations, uh, it, I originally set it up to help me uh, write the piece uh, afterwards. But uh, having recorded uh, those interviews, we realized that there was some really exciting content uh, within those interviews that weren't going to make it into the financial review piece. And therefore, it was worth getting those voices out there through a podcast series. Now, um, Seeds and Chips was part of this Global Table event. Um, what is it, what's so special about Seeds and Chips that it, it seems to gather this attention wherever it goes. It, it started off in Milan. Um, they had um, an event in Los Angeles. And then finally this year, they've come to Australia. So what is the attraction for delegates? And next year, they're going to Africa as well. Yeah, so it's right. becoming a, a, a global franchise, I guess. Yeah. Um, look, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, kind of ingredient list. So it sits somewhere between uh, a kind of conference of ideas uh, with some key leads in the areas, really saying how the future is developing, how some of the sectors are developing. And then it's kind of got a trade show element. So a lot of uh, new startup companies and established companies uh, exhibit yeah, uh, and I as saw, well. I saw yeah. there were some tours as well um, yeah. going around where they're taking delegates out into the field. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, with uh, the development of food, a lot of uh, technology is coming in. So seeing some of that technology in action and how it's developed uh, is really important. And that, you know, learning by showing and uh, seeing things on the ground is also an important part of how we take that information in. But I think the critical element with seeds and chips and the the ingredient is getting young people in. So yeah, the teen evaders. The teen evader. Start of every session, you'd have a teen evader that it would introduce, and these would be people you know, kids between the age of 10 and 21. I think they're ex extending Tina Vader a little bit, but uh, it was quite motivational to see 
people at that age with a serious passion for sustainability and provides a bit of embarrassment, I think, for some of the more established people in the audience uh, and why they haven't done more with their life uh, at that stage. And where do you think this <laughs> embarrassment comes from? Where does that well, stem from? Jesus, that 15-year-old has done all that. Uh, uh, I'm whatever age I am, and uh, maybe I should have done a bit more. So it's, it's quite a, it's, that's quite an interesting dynamic. So is it, is it more of, is this, this thinking outside the square? It, it's bringing it's it's bringing that perspective in. I think, uh, and the critical issue is what the teenagers bring is this is our future. Mm. Don't mess it up. Yeah. You know, this is our future. I've got something uh, invested in this. I know you people out there have something invested as well, but uh, it's it's around future generations, and that's also brought forward into the trade displays because you've got a lot of startups. So you've got a lot of 20s, early 30s uh, with new ideas. They want to give it a go. They don't care if they fail. And so this energy of youth uh, transcends the whole meeting, which is, which is different to some of the meetings. Would you say there was more um, startups in, in this food industry space now than there might have been, say, five or 10 years ago? Look, we're going through a really interesting change in the way that innovation occurs uh, within a range of industry sectors. Uh, and at, at the point within food and food production and processing, we're seeing a lot of technology change, a lot of market change. It's a very dynamic uh, area. And so a lot of the big companies are still moving along, doing their, their same old thing. They've got R&D budgets, but they change slowly. So the innovation ecosystem comes from startup companies that spot a new idea. They're able to get an external investment in that. They then take that ready to market. And then some of the bigger companies then spot those and then uh, kind of absorb those into their, their, their ideas and areas moving forward. So we are seeing a change. A lot of the innovation is being driven through from startups now, but the established companies are are now stepping back a little bit. They're investing in some of those startups, but they're also spotting their next opportunity to move into a market through uh, the acquisition of startups. So I think it is a very dynamic system at the moment. One of the newer uh, companies, or rather the CEO of newer companies that you spoke to was Thomas King. And he was one of quite a few of the people you interviewed, which focused on protein, meat, meat alternatives. And I guess there were quite a few of your um, guests on this show who had a lot to say and who were very knowledgeable about the space that they were in with regards to livestock or alternative meats. Would you say that um, the opinions or the uh, middle ground perhaps shifted a bit during this Seeds and Chips Global Table event? Or would you say that people were perhaps a little bit more stuck to their positions. Look, the, the, the whole alternative protein uh, area has been a really interesting debate, really to follow over the, the last year. So there's a big published uh, study out of the University of Oxford uh, at the end of last year that, uh, you know, kind of uh, gave the proposition, what if, what if we all turn vegetarian or vegan? Uh, what would that mean? What would that mean for climate change? What would that mean for sustainability of our agriculture industry? Now, there's some pretty bold claims uh, that are made uh, within that study. And uh, some of those are, are true. And some of those have kind of been refined, I think, uh, over, over time and through debate. On the back of that, we've seen a number of new companies really come to the fore within that time. 
uh, and largely companies that are around plant-based protein, so Beyond Meats, uh, and even cell-based uh, protein as well. Memphis Meats would be another one. So you've seen a kind of a whole avalanche of new companies uh, get into that sector. And Burger King, you know, has kind of now rebadged its veggie burger as a plant-based protein burger. Yeah. So you've moved well, away from we, vegetarian to plant-based. Uh, yeah. So the interest, the language has really changed around that as well. Um, but the uh, the issue is, I think we've we've seen as that debate has happened, we've seen a kind of uh, coincidence or collision uh, of ideas. So on one side, you really go from an extreme of everybody should be vegan, or maybe everybody should be vegetarian, or we carry on eating, you know, 100 kilos of meat a year as we do in Australia, and ignore the facts. I think what's happened is that you've had both on nutritional. Uh, basis. You know, we probably should be eating less meat than we currently are eating in the developed world for a healthy diet. And so we probably need to reduce our meat consumption by about a third for uh, for healthy limits. But here in Australia, what's that going to do to the meat uh, and the livestock industry? But that livestock industry is really at the premium end uh, of uh, meat production globally. So that offers and opens up new markets uh, globally as well. So we we had a really interesting debate. I think uh, Thomas King really came from a hardcore (laughs) kind of vegan only uh, kind of standpoint, even in May at Seeds and Chips in Milan, and came to say, okay, meat is part of the diet because of essential micronutrients and also calorie dense nature uh, of meat. We heard from Paul Wood, uh, who's uh, director of Dairy Australia, and I think that move towards more sustainable and ethically produced meat is now a strong focus within the industry. I guess it always has been here in Australia, but it's promoted more to fit the the rhetoric of the time, the zeitgeist uh, of now. And then we heard from Sandro as well, who kind of reiterated the nutritional benefits of uh, maintaining meat uh, as part of a, a, a healthy diet, particularly for you know uh, pregnant women and. Uh, various uh, older uh, generations that uh, need that more calorie-dense nutrition. So I think we've seen, uh, uh, yeah, and through those podcasts, we've got a really sophistication of that debate played out. So Andy, we've talked a lot about meat, but your background um, as an academic is not in the meat space. (laughs) Um, In fact, your background is in plants and you are currently Chair of Conservation Biology at the University of Adelaide. Can you tell us how you've come to be in the food space, having come from such a strong plant background? Yeah, so it's true. I'm a chair in plant conservation biology and uh, did a PhD in plant genetics and plant evolutionary uh, biology. Look, I come from uh, an environmental and a biodiversity uh, background. That's really been my training as a scientist. But I think once you understand the domain of science and you understand the issues around that, you understand uh, what is required to put together a logical debate within a scientific area. Um, And you've also had some experience with uh, public presentation and discussion of those ideas uh, in a public forum. You then become better equipped to uh, handle those types of debates on a broader range of subjects uh, into different domains. And so recently my career went more into the agri-food and wine space, which, you know, sustainability is a part of that. I think agri-food and wine is so broad, not one person can cover 
all areas. You've got things from, you know, plant breeding and genetics through to sustainability, through to markets and understanding, through to nutrition. You know, it covers across on science, health, economy and society as well. So almost anybody that works a little bit in the space would be qualified to enter into that domain as long as they consider the broader uh, aspects of what's going on uh, within the food space. And and that's where the debate lies. And that's where the debate lies and the debate around bringing those voices in of different aspects to a central topic. And that's what's really quite exciting around some of these podcasts is that we've heard those different voices and we've brought them together uh, around some key themes. Um, at Global Table, your knowledge of the plant world, of the ecosystem, really came into its own, I imagine, as you, you were on a panel discussion talking about native foods and particularly the commercialization of native foods here in Australia. Um, how did that go? How, how did that go down with the delegates and with the other panelists? Uh, it's probably one of the best panel discussions I've ever uh, participated in. It was a really moving uh, discussion. I think, uh, obviously, I'm not Australian. I've got a funny accent, so I come from overseas. Uh, I come here to Australia and realise some of the inequalities uh, that have really played out uh, here with some of the Indigenous peoples uh, of the country. And so to hear some of those stories firsthand uh, from people are still living and have experienced that kind of issue uh, from their childhood was very, very powerful. We saw that played out with the discussion. So that's the context piece uh, for me as well. The uh, the leader, Suzanne Thompson uh, from AmFab, made everybody stand up and we did uh, a dance and a song uh, as well uh, well, what as kind part of, of that. What kind of dance and song was this? So they had uh, she had a childhood <laughs> uh, song uh, that her community uh, used to sing. So she taught yeah, right. it to the audience oh. and uh, I had to do the didgeridoo. Uh, I can't play the didgeridoo, but oh. uh, over the microphone I went... Mm-hmm. Sounds Very a bit good. like a dish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite an honour to be asked to uh, to do that uh, as well. So that kind of set the context. But as it played out, we had Indigenous leaders uh, that were setting up uh, food businesses uh, coming forward. So a really great example is the Gulwa Pipico. So uh, it's now um, partially uh, Indigenous owned and uh, getting uh, Indigenous uh, producers involved uh, within that company. But they've got a global market for uh, the pippies and the cockles, which are are really sold uh, out of that. But we're seeing from a grassroots level a real development of uh, native food industries right across the country. And I think that's what the uh, the panel discussion was able to capture. It's uh, basically said it's happening now. There are multiple players across the nation uh, that are involved in this. And what we need is a kind of benefit sharing framework uh, to help bring that forward. So one of the problems with native foods uh, is a development that's uh, not occurred here in Australia, but it's actually occurred internationally of the native foods. And so it's been a bit of a missed opportunity, uh, I think, in Australian agriculture. Um, and then also what, what investment and training is required to uh, bring the sector forward in that space, because it's generations behind some of the domesticated crops that we already grow here, things like wheat and canola. Um, and so we need to be developing those resources and need to be developing those seeds so that we can produce uh, native foods on a scale um, and cost effectively as other crops. And then, of course, the um, the domestic uptake of eating and and loving and enjoying these produce. Yeah, so that's that's an important piece. So, you know, getting to know uh, the produce, getting to know what it is, learning the names, learning what to do with it. 
So the interesting dynamic there is that uh, a lot of these uh, products are probably more well-known internationally uh, than they are uh, here in Australia. So Kakadu Plum, uh, there's a cooperative now in the Northern Territories uh, that represents 80% of all Kakadu uh, Plum producers. They export almost all of their produce to the US, where it's taken up as a functional food because of the high vitamin C and antioxidant uh, content. Do they call it Kakadu Plum in the US? <laughs> they do call it Kakadu Plum. Yeah. I'm reminded by Howard Yana Shapiro's interview with you, and he um, said an anecdote about the kiwi fruit. Yeah. And how originally it wasn't called the kiwi fruit, but it was something which was was named that way by a woman somewhere in, in the US and thought, well, oh, this will sell better. Yeah. Um, so I just wonder if, um, if as part of the whole discussion around commercialization um, and people becoming more comfortable with um, native foods here, how much you think that that comfort comes with maybe reframing and what what's the likelihood of that actually happening here in Look, Australia in that form. That's an interesting discussion, and uh, it's a bit fraught mm. <laughs> with uh, some other issues as well. So let's take Kakadu Plum. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's, a, that's a common name that's been applied. Uh, so Gubbinge would be uh, the traditional name yep. uh, for Kakadu Plum. Gubbinge. Uh, yep, by uh, some communities uh, in, in the Northern Territories. So obviously that's probably not an easy name uh, to understand or associate with a food. Mm. Yet it has cultural integrity. Yes. Uh, and so that, that idea of cultural integrity, using the name for foods that were originally given by the communities that recognise and develop those as food, is a very important piece. But whether that name then gives maximum market access for the product on the global stage may not be the case in all, all areas. So, look, we're going to have to find our way uh, through that. That's not an easy uh, debate or issue to solve uh, probably in 20 minutes. No, probably not. <laughs> we can try. Yeah. <laughs> now, there were a lot of high-level speakers like Howard Yana Shapiro at this event. Who would you say was your favorite? <laughs> uh, so, uh, look, there were some really good speakers. I really enjoyed the debates. Uh, also, doing so many interviews, we did 12 interviews over the, uh, the three days, uh, which really allowed us good access uh, and discussion with, with some of those key, key people as well. Uh, but the opening talk really by John Kerry uh, was, uh, it, it was pretty amazing. I mean, to see uh, a statesman uh, of his experience talk about some of the key issues that are facing uh, the globe and societies uh, in a way where uh, you can feel uh, his his kind of uh, political, uh, you know, he gives an insight into some of the problems with politics uh, that get in the way of doing the right thing. And, you know, he didn't call out Donald Trump by name, uh, but he called out Donald Trump by action. Mm. And to do that is so much more powerful than just a vulgar bashing of somebody we know probably isn't doing the best thing for for society or the globe in, in, in general. And so just being able to see him navigate those those difficult conversations and those difficult issues, but also to motivate uh, the whole audience uh, within the opening speech. The opening speech is a tough gig uh, at those uh, those kind of events. Everybody's coming from all over, you know, they're coming from all over Australia, all over the globe. They've just had a shitty flight or something like that, and they're sat down, and what's this guy going to talk about? And he stands up there and talks for an hour with no notes, and by the end of it, the whole audience is focused on on, you have a huge smile on your Yeah, yeah, no, it's just like, <laughs> wow. Uh, so, you know, if I was uh, to have done one interview, it would have been with John Kerry. It would have been well, maybe so... Next time, maybe, right? maybe, maybe next maybe time. Maybe next yeah, time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh wow. I can just I can just see everybody in the audience as you're describing that just slowly start to kind of move. That's and, right. It wasn't one thing. No. And it was like, and here's another thing, and here's another thing, and here's another thing. And by the end of it, you know, everybody's kind of standing up and clapping. And yeah, no, it was uh, it was pretty amazing. So should we expect you to be doing some more interviews next year at Global Table here in Australia? You will see me doing more interviews next year, Global Table. I right. uh, hope to do some with Evocag and some other key uh, conferences and meetings that are around. So is that perhaps something we can look at for season two then, Andy? Yeah, look, we'd, uh, we, I think we should delve into uh, some key topic areas uh, as well as part of those. So ag tech is a really uh, interesting area. You know, ag tech's very broad and it can be big data, machine learning. It can be even biotransformation of products. There's a, there's a, a big bag there. Yeah, Matthew, Matthew Pryor's interview, that was a really good one. And we've had a lot of good feedback from that, haven't we? Yeah, so Matt Pryor's a, a bit of a guru. <laughs> Uh, within the area as well. Uh, you know, he knows his shit when it comes to, yeah. to ag tech, but he also understands where Australia and the Australia uh, development and the markets are in, in relation to global markets as well. So being able to talk to him where he can place where we're at in a global context, that was really interesting to, to understand that. And I think there's a real opportunity with ag tech. It's a, it's a time where there's lots of new developments coming forward and how those develop and which markets those go into and whether Australia's able to kind of reinvent its car industry so it becomes an ag tech industry uh, might be something to really keep an eye on for the future. So Andy, I'm going to ask you the question that you asked everyone at the end of their <laughs> interviews. Um, the United Nations SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, really provided a framework at Global Table Seeds and Chips in Melbourne for people to talk about. Which one or which ones, which of these goals resonates with you the most? So I, I saw a number of my interviewees stumble <laughs> mm. on this question as well. And one of the reasons that it's quite a difficult question is because, of course, all 17 are, are worthy, uh, but also they're also interconnected. Um, so I think the answer is uh, zero hunger, but then what you do is you branch out to other ones. So life on earth, life on sea, climate change, those are the supporting issues. We need to make sure we get the sustainable exploitation of life on land, sea, and climate change issues right in terms of uh, zero hunger. It's no use just addressing zero hunger if we don't do it in a sustainable way. And that's also how the sustainable development goals are meant to be used. They're not meant to be taken in isolation. They're meant to be considered as a cohort of how we address critical issues facing the globe. Andy? Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Ramona, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Food Futurists with Andy Lowe and a series of podcasts looking at food, biological resources, sustainability and innovation.